minimalists. <laughs> hey, y'all. We're here with Rob Bell, and we just start this out with a little segment called More About Less, this little part here, where we, we, we read an article as a jump-off point for discussion. But since we have your new book here, Everything is Spiritual, I figure we read a quick, like, one-page excerpt from it. And since you're here, maybe you'd be willing to read that one-page excerpt. <laughs> I am so interested to see what excerpt. Just right where it says start. And then it says oh, end. Yes. <laughs> you get handed your own book, and it has, like, a marker, start, end. <laughs> nice. All right. Here we go. Page 108. For those keeping score at home. <laughs> My version of an old, old story. A woman goes on a quest to answer the one most important question, who am I? She sets out from her village and she hikes up the nearest mountain because she's heard that there's a wise yogi living there in a cave. She hikes for a day and comes to the yogi's cave. She enters, she bows, sits down and asks the yogi, I'm on a quest to find the answer to the question, who am I? The yogi shakes her head and replies, that is far too profound a question for someone like me. I cannot help you. So the woman keeps hiking farther up the mountain. Days later, she reaches another cave, entering to find an old saint hunched over a fire. She sits down and asks, can you help me? Who am I? The saint smiles. <laughs> that is beyond me. The woman leaves and keeps going higher up the mountain until she's above the tree line and it's cold and windy. And after several days, she arrives at another cave where she finds an old woman alone on a rug. She sets down her pack and asks, who am I? The old woman looks her up and down and then arches an eyebrow and smiles and says, who's asking? I love that story. Who's asking? What a question. I laughed so hard the first time I came across it. I loved it because I was discovering the self behind myself, the question behind the question, the who behind the who. Mm. As mm. read by the author. <laughs> <laughs> nice, yeah. <laughs> the who behind the who. The who behind the who. Well, let's, um, let's pivot a little bit here. You're going on a little book tour with this, but it's uh, not your traditional book tour. Ryan and I have been on nine tours in the last 10 years. We had just canceled one. Um, How many cities have you done in, in 10 years? I don't know, maybe three or 400. Your first tour was 100? I remember you telling me 100 cities. I think it was our fourth tour, but yeah, yeah it, was, it was 100 cities. Um, that was the big one. That was like events. the main tour, yeah. It was mostly in Ryan's Toyota Corolla. <laughs> you did 119 cities in his Toyota Corolla? Yeah, most, well, all the North American ones, yeah. That's like yeah. Road Warrior level stuff right there. Yeah, it was, it was pretty like, awesome. Saskatoon to Jacksonville, Florida, and everything in between. It's something if I had to go back in time and do again, absolutely would. But I don't know if I'd do it again. Sure. After the fact, yeah. Sure. <laughs> yep. It was awesome. But was awesome. I've, we've not yet done a tour like what you're getting ready to do. So the day this comes out, you'll be in New York, except you won't. You'll be also in your um, in your front yard. It's the everything is spiritual. Support your local bookstore <laughs> virtual book tour. It's like Love quantum it. physics, but. I literally sit in my front yard and different, we're supporting uh, bookstores around the country. And so I'll be in conversation with somebody about the book, different people from uh, that I know in different ways. And mm. yeah, it's so different. Normally, you'd, all of us, you'd be getting on airplanes and hotels and all that. But uh, do it from the front yard on a laptop. Awesome. So if people want to attend one of these events, they don't need to be from the city in which it is supporting. I know. That's what's so amazing about it. Like the first one is Book Soup here in L.A., but my son Preston is reading the book. 
And then how cool is that? I don't think he and I have ever done anything publicly. Very cool. Um, and then he's gonna tell me what he thinks of it. Hmm. And then there's this really, really compelling woman named Vanessa Cornell lives in New York. She started these groups where people sit in circles, like the ancient art of sitting in a circle and telling each other what's really happening in your life. It's like uh, resurrecting some of these ancient practices of mm. of honesty and transparency. And then, uh, you know, Avett Brothers, Scott Avett from yeah. Avett Brothers, yeah. he's going to read it. And then wow. Alexander Shia. Then uh, there's this wonderful uh, Buddhist nun in Canada named Hai Ann. And then uh, I got this friend in Houston named Christian Washington, who's, I was like, I would love to know what he thinks of this book. So yeah. And then um, Kent Dobson is a friend of mine from way back. He's, yeah, yeah. So these different people that the most compelling thing to me would be like, what if I asked them to read it and then tell me what they think and everybody could listen in. We'll talk about it. That's in, awesome. Yeah. In some ways that... I'm it, sure there are others. I can't think of the moment, but yeah. Well, we'll put a link to it. RobBell.com, but we'll put a link to uh, the tour in the show notes if you want to check it out. But um, yeah, they don't have to be in Brooklyn to go to attend the, the Brooklyn event per se. Correct. So um, what, what I like about this is it gives people an opportunity. Now, obviously you can't replace the live thing. And I mean, you, you, you know more about this than any of us. There's some energy mm. uh, from from doing the live events that you can't replicate online but there are some benefits here of being able to do it online and, and reach people in a way you may not be able to reach them otherwise yeah it's so surreal how the limitations when you think about how often limitations bring new leaps in creativity mm -hmm. but uh the limitations of this thing that we're all experiencing actually are opening up all these new things I wouldn't have thought to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really fascinating. Yeah, during the so break, we'll see. we were talking to your son, Trace, who's in the studio with us right now, and yes. he just graduated, right, from college. Oh, and using the term loosely. Yeah, well, <laughs> right, it's, but there's no ceremony, and, and we're having to reframe things yeah. in, in a way. I mean, that's obviously, you know, a, a giant thing, and, and congratulations that you got to to do that but you didn't you also didn't have the experience that you expected and i think all, all of our expectations are being shifted in profound ways right now hmm. oh yeah e even like the existential question what is a life because the layers of assumptions about what even comprises a life like we go here we do this and then a whole bunch of these things got taken away you know what i mean and you have people asking the question behind the question behind the question like what even does make up what we call a life? Because now we can't go there, so that's off, or mm. this. Or my 11-year-old daughter is, goes to class each morning in her room <laughs> on her bed with a laptop and the dog next to her, and that's right now called school. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know this doesn't matter in California, but there will never be another snow day like where it snows, <laughs> now that they know that you can totally teach from your living room. Oh my gosh, you're so right. <laughs> there will never be another snow day for kids. Oh, yeah, or have wow. you noticed that no one's late to Zoom meetings? A friend of, my friend Carlton and I were talking mm, about how there's yeah. there was instantly an inherent etiquette because nobody has, well, I, I was just getting here. <laughs> yes. Like you clearly, you're in your house at, at the most 25 feet mm -hmm. from your computer. So you notice that meetings start <laughs> right at the time. Like literally people are apologizing for being there at 2.01. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so all these really interesting, subtle, 
protocols and etiquettes are all baked into some of these new experiences. <laughs> just imagining like a traffic jam with like the dog and the wife and the kid like trying to get, <laughs> sorry, I got caught <laughs> in traffic on the thing. way. <laughs> yeah, there's this ancient pattern of orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Um, like in the Psalms in the middle of the Hebrew scriptures, going back to your some gods die. Mm. Uh, a good chunk of the Psalms are laments. They're the loss of something. They're mm. questioning, doubting uh, their prayers. Where are you? Why do you hide your face from me? Mm-hmm. Um, they're about the absence of the presence of the divine. I'm all alone here. No mm. one's coming to my rescue. Come, You said you would, that kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, built into the Psalms is this ancient pattern of orientation. You have your way that you're navigating the world. This is how you understand what matters, what's important, what's significant. And then those reference points get removed and that throws you into disorientation. Mm. Yeah. And disorientation has like some very basic truths about it. Um, you don't know up and down and you're vulnerable and raw. And then gradually you got to ride it out. You get to reorientation, which often looks very different. So this thing that we're all going through is actually an ancient pattern. We're just doing it on like a massive scale together yeah yeah so people have been here before in the book you talk about your allergy to branding (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if you'd describe it that way Uh, yeah yeah it was some well it's not a line i do have one right right well you the 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 marketing meetings and and so you for those of you listening who, who aren't familiar um Rob had, and there was there was something really fascinating when you were writing about it in this book. Like I, I sort of I knew the story obviously, but I didn't know the story. And and you you talk about how you know, you you wanted to do one thing, which was your art and creating and communicating. But then, of course, in order to do that in the world that you were in, there the price of admission was also all the sort of not just the banalities, but the sort of the the vapidity of of marketing meetings and 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 meeting after meeting and uh, Ryan and I used to have when we were in the corporate world meeting Mondays there were nine meetings over a Ooh. nine hour period and it was a pre meeting marketing meeting and like all, all of these things and um, it was to use a word you would use I think soul crushing mm. and oh yeah yeah it, yeah it was like the it, I had to recover from that but um, I know with your with your church, which was a very large church in Grand Rapids, um, you didn't want to sell merch and... Um, yeah, the, it actually wasn't about... The meetings were fine because those people were doing... It was really good work they were all doing. It was just I had other work to be doing than running a really large institution. Right. So it was less ab- about mm-hmm. the quality or the legitimacy of the work. It was more... There were these wonderfully talented people running this massive... Um, I remember the kids' classes, like up to like fifth grade. I remember them telling me it took 900 volunteers to run like the kids part of the church. So it was just like the wow. scale was just insane. Mm. Um, at one point I had to give the sermon, th- I was giving the sermon three times on Sundays um, because uh, like it was just like Massive. people in orange vests with par- like an airport with those orange things, parking cars. Wow. Oh yeah, it was like a scene. It was like a, it was an event. Um, and it was great. They were, I, I was totally behind all them doing it. I just had this work I knew I was here to do that wasn't running a large institution. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, this is really good. It's just not m- what I'm here to do. 
Well, sometimes you can't do both either. It's just like yeah, if, if, yeah, yeah. if you had to put on the orange vest and, and, and direct traffic, <laughs> there may have been a time for that, but yeah, you couldn't yeah. have done that and given the talk at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And in the world that I, in the pastor world that I was trained in and came up through, the person who does the, like the teaching and creates, in some ways creates the art. There's like, there's that hat and then there's the leader of this thing hat, which is a whole responsibility and world and skill set, et cetera. And in the world I came up in, the same person wears these two hats, but they're actually very, very different hats. Mm. You don't want me in charge of a parade. You know what I mean? Like the organizational, that's not where I do my thing. But um, in the book, I just talk about when you are surrounded by a world that is giving you very consistent feedback that this is what you are to be doing, and yet soul, this deep inner knowing, is telling you something different. Mm. It's like, and and the the better it is around you, the work, whatever it is, the the more helpful it is, or the then the more that anguish is. Because I know this is really good. I know I know somebody would kill for this job. Great, they can have it. No one has to die like that. <laughs> yeah. and, and what's happening? In, in I do these sessions with people who are working on things, and then they tell me how they're stuck, and then we watch them get unstuck. Is how many people they're in some situation, they're restless but it's a good situation. So they have this guilt. Like I know I'm supposed to be, they always say, I know I'm supposed to be grateful for what I have. Um, yeah. But what's happened is spirit. There's this restless energy that's like, hey, there's, it's time for the next chapter. Mm-hmm. It's time for the next step. And yet what they have is this sense of shame. Like I should be grateful for what I have. Why would I want more? And it's like, no, take, gratitude's not the issue here. Get that out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a chapter. The chapter's coming to an end. It's okay. It's not your quitter. It's not because you're disloyal. It's not because you can't hack it. It's because the chapter's coming to an end. Yeah. Now, yeah. what's the next one look like? Mm. It's like you take some of the electricity out of it and then you can find your way. That's exactly yeah. us in the corporate world, man. Because I remember having that exact moment where I'm like, I'm making so much money. I'm like doing everything that I thought I was supposed to be doing. And people would kill to be I'm in this position. I'm reading po- from the script. Yeah, people would kill to be in this position. <laughs> I'm so ungrateful. I'm nailing the part here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's there's a lot of relief in that. And it's over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I brought up the, the branding thing. We had, um, I guess his, his pseudonym is Tyler Jones, uh, the guy who runs the Preachers and Sneakers Instagram account. Are you familiar with this? <laughs> if not, I'm sure Trace is. You're not familiar with it either? Okay. Um, it, it's... It's what is it like it, that sort of streetwear dudes who it, like wear Gucci and yeah. talk about how actually I'll pull whatever. up so you can see it. I think you'll you'll I'm find fine. it as yeah. I'm really fine. <laughs> well, it's it's no it's no it's an art project basically. And what it does <laughs> is it takes it, it takes um a a you know a famous preacher mm-hmm. and a picture of them on stage and then next to it just has the retail value of the clothing that they Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A friend of mine sent, yes, a friend of mine sent this to me. And, yeah. and uh, it really took off New York Times and everything started writing about it. And as soon as I saw this, I thought of you because I'm like, Rob would never be the guy who would be featured on here. I mean, Rob is, is stylish. He, he, he wears, he has aesthetically pleasing home, but, but he, 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 he's not going to get caught up in wearing you know, $4,000 Yeezys or something. It, um, not only does it not map onto his values, I, I don't think you even think that way. <laughs> Honestly, every day, brown wallabies, Clarks. 
they came up maybe they came out 50s or 60s oh yes a clark's man nice yeah i'll stick with the brown wallabies what if someone gave you a pair of yeezys like what would would you be like here trace do you like these shoes <laughs> yeah i have a couple of i get a couple of things and then just wear them till they fall off mm, i like yeah. too much like a closet with too much stuff i don't want decisions i got enough stuff up here that I'm thinking about or creating. I don't want to also be like, which shirt? Yeah. So it's like really, really simple. Minimalist. I need it to be like <laughs> the white or gray or blue. Okay, done. Yeah. Next. <laughs> yeah. You, you talked about um, uh, moving on. You know, sometimes it's the end of a chapter, right? Yeah. I wrote this line down about uh, sometimes you have to leave because it's good. That's yeah. a line from the book. Can you talk about yeah, that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because that, 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 that's not intuitive. Correct, correct. Mm. So, so think about how disconnected from the earth we live, how much cement how there, that we live with, how you can go to a grocery store in the middle of the night and get whatever fruit or vegetable, pretty much, right. whether it's in season or not. And mm -hmm. for many people, there aren't even questions about, wait, it's Minnesota, it's February, how are there tomatoes here? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so, so, but you then you think about earlier generations go back a couple hundred years to mostly agricultural settings where you lived um very much aware of what the earth is doing so you had seasons um and seasons come and then they go and i'm fascinated when i'm ever i'm talking to a crowd and i ask how many of you stayed too long at some point in your life a job a neighborhood a relationship mm. every hand goes up how and then you ask how many of you, you stayed too long, but there was a moment when it was time to be done, but you stayed because it was comfortable. Mm -hmm. And when you, you stayed past that, and that's then when things soured and what could have been a graduation became a divorce. Yeah. So there's something about the modern world in many ways in which it is seasonless that, that it didn't get picked up in the in the the water, which is sometimes it's the end of a season and it's okay. So most people only know endings as bad. It went it went south. It, it went sour. It fell face first. Mm -hmm. um, so I've met a number of people who are like, I think it's dumb, but it's all great. And the idea that it would be good, so it's time to leave, is very counterintuitive. But as soon as you move to, it was a great season. Great job. You did it. You came here and you did this work. What three years? Wonderful. You did You did it. It yeah. seems to me when I haven't moved on, when it was time to move on, there was a certain amount of cowardice that was involved in it where I was afraid to move on, either because of the fear of, of letting go, right, and, and thus we cling, or the fear of the unknown of what was next. Sure. which is as old as it gets, the unknown. I mean, every, pretty much every story, any good story, I mean, any movie within the, what, the first 30 minutes, there's some unknown and an invitation to enter into it. Yeah, there's once again an ancient pattern that it will always involve an awareness that this season is ending. The next season may give you a little shape and contour, maybe a vague direction within which to step, but if you got too much detail, it would take all the faith and terror and mystery and juice out of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And so everybody wants the next thing to be already set up before you leave this thing. But actually, all the good stories that always move us are about people who took the next step without it being fully formed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whenever we choose to listen to stories, 
it's always of people who had some unknown and stepped into it. And it turns out they were okay. Um, so you just think back on what are the stories that move you and go, oh, okay, that's actually how the musculature works. Mm-hmm. So you got an unknown in front of you. Yep, not unusual. Uh, in the book, I talk about how in the Bible, like when Abraham leaves his father's household or when Ruth leaves, the storyteller doesn't explain motives, which is very interesting because it's very odd. Like in the ancient Near East, this man named Abraham leaves his father's household and the father's household was economics, politics, how you eat, where you sleep. It, uh, father's household was the holes. He leaves because of some sense that there's more, but the storyteller doesn't provide any explanation. But then you think about the times, like when you left corporate world, mm. if we were to ask you why, maybe some dissatisfaction or some sense, but you also would very, have a very difficult time rationally articulating yeah. your motive, other than some like nudge, hunch, yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so there is something about this process that works a particular way in like across the board, which I think is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And how many people know if I don't take this step, something within me dies. Yeah. It literally has like life and death sort of baked into it. Um, you, you, you just, you, you posited the why to Ryan and in the book you do talk about where you're less concerned with the why and it seems like you've, you've never been that concerned with no, the why really. behind things but instead yeah. the what yeah a lot of art is it's a pre-verbal trans-rational however you want to say it that it, it soul moves beyond what the mind can comprehend so the mind can categorize process label um, but but when you are connected with soul, soul just knows. It doesn't need to explain or rationalize. You know what I mean? Soul, soul is a deep knowing that is, it's trans-rational. It includes the mind, but then transcends it. Um, you think about the great artists when asked to pin down why. Yeah. You don't even waste your... Yeah. That ruins it. Mm. But what it actually is it, ruins it. Mm. What is it about the why that people <laughs> default to that question? <laughs> because people get stuck in their heads. <laughs> it's just basic. I love stuck it. in your head. Basic threat assessment. Lizard mm. brain. Yeah. Uh, the, the the mind. It, it, fear keeps you keeps you in the mind. Keeps you in threat assessment. Keeps you in covering myself. Am I okay? It's the chatter. The endless chatter. Yeah. So it's like you gotta. I'll often invite people to sink down into heart. Um, the people that I get to interact with who are can't figure out what the next step is, and when I invite them to s- sink down, I'll sometimes say, see if you can find it on top of your heart. Mm. Take a deep breath, and then y- your question is X or Y. Um, don't look for it with mind. See if you can find it on top of your heart. You would not believe. Artists, activists, writers, heart surgeons, therapists, psychoanalysts, astrologers, sink down and instantly it's right there. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. The clarity uh, that heart, soul, spirit has on matters. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes what you can also see, I bet for your listeners, times when you had a deep knowing about something 
but either somebody around you was chattering away with their opinion or there was the group conventional wisdom, so you went with that. But later you were like, I knew it. <laughs> you, you, you went against this sacred intuition, this deep knowing, this Christ wisdom. Mm -hmm. Think about how many times you actually, you, you did have clarity here, mm -hmm. but you didn't trust it. Mm -hmm. You went with whatever was happening around you. Then later you're like, yeah. Should have listened to my gut. Yeah, 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 yeah. We say listen to our gut, but that's actually, I mean, biologically there's some truth to that, but yeah. this is actually central to a healthy spiritual vision of life is mm. learning to trust that that which is deepest within you is good. It's for you. It's on your side. It's guiding you. Uh, in the New Testament, they call it the Holy Spirit. Other traditions have names for it, but mm -hmm. yeah, that's all central to this experience we're having here. Hmm. I've noticed there's there's always discontent there too when when you when you go against that sacred intuition as you call it, you immediately I don't even want to say regret it, but you feel that it's wrong. Oh, there, there's yes. this visceral. Oh yes, and the body knows. Yeah, the body knows because everything's connected. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean obviously our ancestors were way more tuned into this um, than we are now. I mean, the modern world was wonderful at breaking things down into a component parts. That's how you make a flat screen TV. That's how you have a jet take off is break it down. Yeah. Um, but it's also one, the parts all exist within holes and each of us are a whole. So all of this is intimately connected, mind, body, soul, spirit. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you talk about um, the homeless folks around your place. Oh yeah. And well, I was in Edinburgh last year and there's a guy who had like clearly overdosed and he was like coming in and out. And it was, uh, it was just one guy on the street and like we all gathered around and we're like calling the ambulance and we're trying to help him, making sure that he's going to stay alive. I see 12 of those people a day in Los Angeles. Oh my goodness, yeah. And I, it was interesting to me because I lived in LA at the time. I was just visiting Edinburgh and my heart was like, stop, help this person. And in LA, it's like, I have to, I have to be callous to it because yeah. I would be doing nothing but going around and trying to yeah. help people if that's the way I yeah. felt about every yeah, single yeah. person I saw in LA. But the way that you kind of described us being a whole and like the homelessness being a symptom of the whole, that has helped me hold yes. it in a different spot. Yes, and, yes. And even this is telling us something mm -hmm. about us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what's what, what it has helped me do is like now... Um, some people don't want my time. Like a lot of the homeless people, they're just doing their thing. But some of them do want my time. And mm. if I'm in a position to give them time, like I will do that now. Because it is a, I don't know, now I can hold a different space for it where it's, I don't have to help everyone. But, you know, I could give a little bit of myself to someone who wants a little bit of what maybe I have. And yeah, I, I love the, uh, <laughs> and you get there through quantum physics. And the Big Bang, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> it's yeah, that was uh, you like draw that thread, and I was like, damn, he did just do that, didn't he? <laughs> Let me read another line from the book here. Um, it's easy to swap one fundamentalism out for another. We see it all the time. Someone is one thing, but now they're telling us they've seen the light. There's something else. But what you sometimes sense is that they are just as rigid and fearful as ever, like they exchanged one rigid for another. Is that, is that about safety in a way? Sure, sure, sure. We, we, want, we need structures, we want structures. 
we're drawn to forms. Yeah, of course. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, In the book I talk about, forms aren't the problem. It's the spirit animating the form. Mm. So you were in second grade. That worked for a while. It's good. It's a step up from first grade. Yeah, that's a good form. And then by the end of second grade, it was like, I think I might be ready for the next one. So you went to third grade. It was a bit of a stretch. Maybe a little bigger desk. The math, a little more difficult. Yeah, and then by the end of third grade, it was like, we need a new form. So, So the forms... I have no problem with the forms. It's when the spirit animating the forms gets locked up. or So sometimes you'll see that somebody has left behind this and picked up this, and they've left behind that label, and now they've picked up this label, but they're clinging to it. They may be better ideas. It may be more advanced, progressive, whatever, but it's the same fear, clinging and grasping. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same egoic structure that's desperately searching for some identity. Um, So that's actually the invitation is just, you're okay. You're okay as you are. You belong. You're good. Yeah. Yeah, so that's part of the who am I who's asking is learning to witness to um, the experience that you're having. And, oh, that's that's glass grasping. That's clinging. That never gets me anywhere. And and you let it pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole thought process helped me because um, I have a lot of resentment to, towards my religious upbringing, but there's a lot of good that came from it. Yeah, and so it got to a point where it was no longer serving me, and I can actually look back on that with a little bit of gratitude. I mean, I always yes. have, but it, it, you know, putting it in that, you know, uh, you know, expressing that thought, it has helped me experience even more gratitude for it, and I really hope like. <laughs> If people read this book, they get to a point where they're like, oh, like maybe this group or this set of values or these beliefs, like they're actually not serving me anymore. And that's okay that they're not serving me. Yeah. And it's time for me to move on to something else. Gratitude. It worked on for me for a while. Whatever the message is, I got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And now we keep going. And in, in, mm-hmm. in the rediscovering or the, as you talk yeah. about in the book, the sense of awe or, or wonder. Why is it so many of us lose that somewhere in our teens or 20s? It's almost as though it's beaten out of us. Yeah, you're in a machine that's designed to beat it out of you. Yeah. Or it <laughs> like, was like, literally beaten out of me as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Actually. <laughs> like, think, like, like uh, my dad was a judge. Uh-huh. And old, like, wore wingtips and a suit every day. Oh, wow. Like, like, like a sense of honor and dignity. Like, he came down to the breakfast table, like, it's time to go to work. And he had this wonderful sense that he was a public servant. Mm. Like I never heard him use the word profit or revenue or business. Like that had nothing to do with the world he lived in. He lived in a world of, I am here to serve the public by administering justice. Very old school, like this public servant. It's an honor. It's like a, it's a sacred honor that I get to do this. so just think about when you think about uh, public service or civil servants or even politicians, do you immediately think, oh, yeah, there's like a rich, noble tradition of public service that certain people participate in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you don't think. That's not the first thing you think of. Well, so, yeah, these systems, these systems, they worked for a while, but a number of them aren't like, like they could. 
So I actually think the disorientation of this moment is a number of things that weren't serving us like mm. they actually need to yeah. are being exposed. Kristen and I use the word apocalyptic hope because mm. apocalypse doesn't mean end. The word apocalypse means a revealing or a disclosing. So if something is apocalyptic, doesn't mean it's over. It means the truth about it is being revealed. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, so Kristen and I use this phrase apocalyptic hope. If we're actually going to reorder the world in better ways, then you have to have an unmasking. You have to have a revealing mm. of just how bad this thing isn't working. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, so when yeah. people are losing their minds, like, what's well, it all going to fall apart? To get where we need to go, as painful and literally there's like a rising death toll. So you have to be very careful how you even speak about this, but there has to be an unmasking. Um, You literally right now have a political party in our country that is just very straightforward about voter suppression. We don't want more people voting because we'll lose. Mm -hmm. They're literally now saying just, this is just an open as opposed to like a dark secret. Hmm. This is an unmasking. That's unbelievably, evil to hear it voiced but you actually have to get it voiced and dragged out into the open you know what i mean you, yeah what i what i learned from you early on is that you know obviously religion or really spirituality does not have a political party right and and yet we we well, we were talking about this before we we started recording like it's strange that if i see someone walking down the street I know, you know what they think about the Second Amendment. I know what they think about abortion. I know what they mm. think about the EPA. Mm. And if they're not wearing a mask, and I shouldn't. Those, none of those things should actually be connected. They, they should have four nuanced answers about each. Or maybe if they're honest, like most of us, like ah, I should probably learn a little bit more about each of those things. But instead, it's like, well, no, I've put on this particular jersey. Mm-hmm. And this works really well for sports, right? Like Mike, yeah. Mike Conley puts on a Utah Jazz jersey, and all of a sudden, <laughs> I'm a Mike Conley fan. But I didn't like him <laughs> when he was wearing the Memphis Grizzlies jersey. It works terribly for how we organize the world. Mike Conley is your player of reference. Well, I'm a Utah Jazz fan, so... I've never met a Utah Jazz fan. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get that often? Because I'm from Ohio, right? So yeah. even stranger. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. Wait, 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 let's just get this straight. Let's, Ryan, let's do a little spiritual work here. Okay. <laughs> you're from Ohio. Yeah, Dayton, Ohio. And your reference point is Mike Connolly, not LeBron James. So, I mean, I, I grew up in the you know, '80s and '90s. I don't know if you should explain. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I know. This it's is too, not the lightning too round. Beautiful. There's, this can't be done in 140 <laughs> characters. <laughs> <laughs> I love when he throws a random Utah jazz <laughs> reference. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, just because I, I, I try to get so specific that all yeah. of our audience is tuned out by, by some point. What is, oh, uh, my word. what does Pete Holmes say? The, the desires of the ones you love become your desires. It's something like that. What, do you know what I'm talking about? No, Pete Holmes? Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Uh, oh, my goodness. Pete, Peter Rollins. Oh. I always get those two confused for some reason. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty much That the same may never person. have been said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, P- Pete Rollins said something about, yeah, your desires are the ones of those you desire or something like uh, yeah, that. You, so you anyway, yeah. every time you talk about the Utah Jazz, like it makes me a little bit more of a Utah Jazz fan. <laughs> so that's why I like it when you bring it up, man. <laughs> uh, I don't know where we were going with this. Anyway. Oh, yeah. oh the teams. You, the teams, yeah. Yeah, and the, and, and, uh, and the fax mask. Face mask. Yes, that's well, my. Oh, you know, that's. To, I think they should be called fax masks. F A X. 
No. <laughs> no, what just a another another way keeps for it to the be facts misunderstood, out, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, no, it's um uh, but but like I said, what I was saying with the whole um team thing, like yeah, the organizing that way works well for these friendly competitions. It doesn't work so well when we're talking about the the affairs of your everyday people and the populace and and how we spend tax dollars or whatever. I'm against you, you're against me. And um, I don't know. In many ways, I feel like I, I, I was really hoping this pandemic was going to bring us more together. But and I think maybe in some ways it has. Yeah. But in other ways, it hasn't. In times of disruption and trauma and upheaval, people generally let the pain break them open and they move to more mature stages of consciousness that are always greater freedom, greater inclusion, and greater complexity. Or in times of upheaval, trauma, distress, people regress out of fear. So the pain either breaks you open, so you become wider, more, you make room for the immensities of the situation within yourself, you expand. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or you regress, dig in your heels, and actually move backwards mm. so what you can see now is there's a there's a development from pre-rational like as a kid pre-rational which is no one tells me what to do the move from pre-rational to rational yeah. i can think through this logically mm -hmm. and then the move from rational to transrational which is yes i can think logically about this and i also re leave room for mystery wonder mm -hmm. energy mm -hmm. and you can see in this moment of great upheaval a number of people have reverted at the moment when we most need people to move into rational. Large numbers of people, because of the disorientation of it, have regressed to pre-rational, mm. um, which always moves you away from the health of the group, back to the self, right. um, which moves you back from uh, group-centric to ego-centric. That's mm. the regression. So no one tells me what to do. Um, this is the exact moment we need you to move from egocentric to group-centric. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was talking to a woman in Tokyo who talked about how central to Japanese culture is you wear a face mask out of respect for everybody else. So it's as you come down the street, you are by your face mask demonstrating publicly a respect for everyone. So she's like, here in Tokyo, the Japanese, the idea that in America a fax mask, as I would say, <laughs> has become like a thing to take a stand on for the Japanese, that's just a blatant, how would I publicly disrespect other people? <laughs> right. Mm. They, she's like, they just can't even compute Yeah. how lost the dignity and honor of a civilization would be that they would politicize this. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? It, well, it is, yeah. and especially because we, we, we see people publicly disrespecting each other now all the time. Now, it's happening through our screens, and for whatever reason, with that buffer, we, because we take out the human connection and we lose the humanity within it qu quite often, and and people are, are saying things to people they would, they would never otherwise say, uh, to, to, just because they don't want to be perceived as a, a total jerk, right? Mm. Uh, at, at the very least, right? Yeah. Uh, but really, because you know, your average person does have some sort of compassion. And I think what we're trying to say here is, you know, I, I think we can, I don't know, we, we, we can bring that out of, of just about anyone. But um, in a time like this, I think it does bring it out for, for a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. But then there are some people that, you're using the word regression, I'm hearing atrophy in a way. 
Yeah, it's always linked. Where like our, our compassion is, is atrophying. Yeah, the great crisis of polarization, especially political polarization. Polarization is the inability to see myself in you. Mm. So I see you acting and I can't find anything of myself in you. Mm-hmm. But maturity is growing in your ability to look far enough inside of you that you see everybody else and to look far enough inside of everybody else that you see yourself. So uh, when I'm resentful, I'm often not my most rational when I consumed with bitterness and resentment. Yeah. When I'm angry or I feel left out or excluded, I tend not to make the best choices. Mm. So the... So the inability to understand why in 2016 people would have voted for that man. Um, You have to go back there and find that choice in yourself. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. And and until you do, the thing remains more polarized than ever. So you can still say that's misogynist, that's racist, that's wrong, that's corrupt, that's horrific. Mm. you, You still name things what they are, but nevertheless, you're looking far enough inside this person that you go I, there i am yeah there oh, i am that's beautiful man i uh i look at that i because when 2016 happened i was like oh my god what the heck just happened <laughs> like how in the world and then i realized i'm almost oh, like stuck in this little bubble yeah and yeah. so i started to go out my bubble outside my bubble and yeah. i did this literally but also uh some exercises of trying to you know empathize with why people would vote the way they did and I did see myself because in 2004 or 2008, I was there. I would have voted that way. And yeah, I guess if we can stop and accept that people are in a certain spot and yeah. may- maybe eventually they'll go to a different spot, Yeah. but polarizing it and... And people confuse that with a green. Yeah. Well, this is not about yeah. condoning. This is not about a green. This is not about... This is about the human act of presence with another human. Um can I see how given the fumes they've been breathing and the system that they are in and what it taught them about lack, scarcity, mm-hmm. the other. Yeah. Um, in many ways, this person was marinated in a system mm. that soaked them in a particular way of seeing the world and they are acting out of that. Oh yeah. So even though they're an autonomous being with choice and yes, they shouldn't have done that, uh, still, <laughs> Yeah, I can see how that. I can see how they'd see the world that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is where the polarization. I tried in the book to take you into what it's like to be me in such a way that you would be constantly finding yourself. Oh yeah. So there are all these pauses, which was all me trying to do. I'm going to tell you the particulars of what it's been like to be me betting that the hyper particulars when I'm wearing that sweater and the suit mm-hmm. you'll be finding your own experiences yeah because you don't get to them through the universals it's been mm-hmm. tough man no tell me how it's been tough mm-hmm. tell me what it's been like it's the story where you actually connect yeah you do a great job of that man it's funny because I actually while I was reading your book even though it was you writing it I could hear it in your voice it felt like you were listening Ah, yes, good, <laughs> good, good, good. Yeah. 
Good. I, I saw the suit thing, uh, the suit and sweater thing, as <laughs> as a sort of metaphor. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, we, we, this doesn't fit anymore, right? Or at I'm, the time, I'm trying. I was like, I swear, I'm enacting a metaphor that I'm only later going to understand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm up here talking. Oh. I'm bombing. I'm wearing a suit for some reason. I already know this is a story. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> that was great. <laughs> we got a few questions here. Uh, Jess says, "What does Rob Bell think about the afterlife?" Oh, <laughs> does she want me to answer? I mean, well, Ryan, you is can she answer. asking? Is, he, is she asking well, you? I'll, yeah, I'll, what does okay. Rob think about the afterlife? I have no idea what, if Rob believes in an afterlife. <laughs> I yeah, find I'll, it absolutely impossible to believe that this experience that you are having as a soul essence in mm-hmm. a body mm-hmm. is confined to this particular brief years of space in this space time continuum. Yeah, the idea that it's over in mm. like uh, 77 years in this body and that the soul, which never stops telling you how indestructible and infinite and eternal it is, mm-hmm. is suddenly like, I guess I'm out too. Uh, I just find that impossible. Is this the finding it impossible? And that this isn't accusatory. We're just having a conversation. Of course. But could that be coming from the ego at all? Like the fact that, that the ego refuses to believe that this is it. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, I'm just curious. Oh, of course. I'm just noting all of the near-death experiences. Yeah. All of the experiences of altered states in all their shapes and forms. Mm. All of the traditions of the wise ones who spoke of an eternal now. Mm. Um, Just the fact that for many people, the body is the outer boundary of the person. Mm-hmm. So, um, this is the this is the outline of Ryan, mm-hmm. and then in Ryan might be a soul or a spirit. So we don't know. Yeah. Um, but some energy. If you would have loved to be here today but couldn't make it, you would have said to me, "Hey, I, I'm with you in spirit." Yeah. So right there, or the people we've lost that we loved that are gone, mm-hmm. and we talk about there's they're still with us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So your body is not the outer boundary of who you are. Your body is something happening within the larger phenomenon that is you. Mm. You know, it's interesting. Oh, go ahead. So so (laughs) whatever it is that is of your essence or your essence, we already have a lived experience that it isn't contained in simply this physical structure. So the fact that pretty much every ancient wisdom tradition is like, yeah, this this is like first round or... (laughs) had some language to talk about the boundlessness of your true self. Mm. Can you I expand go, on the on the eternal yeah. now? I mean, because I yeah, the yeah. way I visualize that is like X and Y axis, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a rather crude also analogy. A Z axis. Trace and I love talking about this. I just looked over at him like, oh, <laughs> this is like he just put the ball on the tee. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so if you go up on an airplane and I'm on the ground, and uh-huh. we're both wearing watches, uh-huh. your watch will run faster than mine. Mm-hmm. So you go live on a mountain, I live in the valley, you will live more years in the same amount of years because time travels faster farther from the earth. The mm-hmm. higher up you are, the faster a clock runs. Mm-hmm. So time is actually bendy, stretchy, relative, and there is no now. Because if you asked me, what am I doing right now? And you were observing me and then reporting and telling him what I'm doing now, what I'm doing now would have to, light would have to bounce off your light cones, which take a couple milliseconds. So you would be describing what I was doing a couple milliseconds ago. So there's only now, 
All of your memories can only take place right now. And all of your thoughts about the future can only take place right now. So there only actually is a now. Mm. And the only thing that goes on forever is the present. So time is actually a persistent illusion. It's not mm -hmm. set. Because you have your app on your computer, you have that squ those squares that tell you the days. Like they're, they're 24 hour particular chunks. Mm -hmm. But that's actually like saying that the earth is flat because when I walk out of this office building, it'll be flat, it's actually round. Mm -hmm. And what's gonna happen in the next, I would argue 25 years, is people are gonna realize the way they've been thinking about the time, time is exactly how people thought about a flat earth. Look, it, it's flat, actually it's round. And mm -hmm. people are gonna realize this whole time construction isn't real, how's that? That's Here's good. what I mean. I would just regret is when you're stuck in the past. Mm. Worry is when you're stuck in the future. Mm. But you can only ever be in the present. So those are actually fabrications. They have no essence or materiality to them. Right. Worry and regret are actually illusions. And which is why every single wisdom tradition is always about being here. There's a lovely tweetable so thing. So there's time. Yeah. There's a bit on time. And I actually think, uh, let's move it in. I think the next couple of years, you're going to start to see massive numbers of people realizing that time is fundamentally different than everybody thought it was. And mm -hmm. I think COVID is a massive part of it because people are working from home and they're getting way, way, way more done in these much less time. Or even if I talk to you about November right now, November is a concept at this point. Mm -hmm. If I ask you about last May, right? Think of how it's yeah. messed with your sense of what a year, 2020 just, just warped so much of this. So yeah, this understanding, and like you have Carlos Rovelli and all sorts of wonderful theoretical physicists and scientists writing about, actually time is way weirder than any of us thought. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Those are fun. But you begin to live with this, it, it shapes you in all sorts of ways. Yeah. No, those are fun little thought experiments. I love it. <laughs> Your smile is fantastic. <laughs> well, I'm thinking my, my daughter the other day, she said, um, just out of nowhere, she said five weeks is three weeks. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, yes. I, and, and she's seven, but like for, to me, that captured in a moment yes. exactly yes. what we're feeling right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And then you think about, like, like your listeners, your moments of greatest joy in life are always moments when you are caught up in a loss of time. They generally mm. involve some yeah. loss of a recognition of the passing of time. I don't know where the time went. When I do this, um, time f flies. Yeah. So you realize that this is actually, we have a lot more to play with in time than we first realized. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Speaking yeah, this of is joy. I we, love this. we have to plug uh, an intro to joy. Ah, uh, yes. Um, man, uh, I brought Sean. My wife was out of town to go see the the live talk that you did, little community theater in West Hollywood when you were first. I think you were just testing oh, yeah, it yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. And then um, I shared it with my wife um, when you put it out on YouTube, which we'll put a link to it in the show notes if folks want to check it out. And you definitely should. It's it's truly phenomenal, man. Like it's, oh, thank you. Uh, and I, I, it's a comedy special. It's a sermon. It's, um, <laughs> it's. Um, We're all gonna a die. Lecture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's a pep talk. It's yeah. all of these things, and really none of these things, 
because those are just labels. It's uh, an hour or so. It, by the way, time just sort of disappeared when we were watching. Good. And the next day, you know, Bex, who has no religious inclinations at all, um, she's sending it like to all her family and friends. You got to check this out. And um, I was just, I, I was really fascinated with what you did from that first time you did it, and, until you had a sort of you know, finished product. Um, um, yeah. Congratulations, though. Thank you. You saw yeah. one of the yeah. That was the first time I'd ever done like rehearsal shows, and then you take it out and take it around the world, and it starts to get something yeah yeah that was really fun mm -hmm. yeah yeah that film the the temporal passing fragile nature of life we're all going to die maybe soon so that's where you find the joy mm. joy is very different than happy happy's the binary with sad same as pessimist is different than optimist like mm -hmm. the but joy is completely different it wraps its arms around the full spectrum of the human experience it can mm -hmm. handle it all yeah yeah Got a couple Absolutely. more questions here. We'll we'll dive into. Uh, let's see here. We already sort of answered Cynthia, so Chad's got a good one. Yeah, let's ask Chad's question. I want to attend a church, but my beliefs don't comport with most Christians, at least not literally. Any thoughts? So, someone who wants to go to church that doesn't agree with the beliefs of a church. Well, let's talk about why someone might want to go to church. Let's talk about the word comport. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like he probably used it correctly. Yeah. Uh, it sounds to me like this is somebody who wants some people to walk with. They want yeah. to be part of a bigger hole. One time my wife, Kristen, and I were doing this event, and at the very end we each had one more thing to say to the audience, and my wife, Kristen, says to the audience, it's like we're all just walking each other home. Ah. Mm. Isn't that fantastic? Mm -hmm. So you can feel it in this question. This uh, this lovely human being is like, God, I'd like some people to walk with. Yeah. So I always begin, do you have a table? Do you have some food? Like, uh, I mean, you can go try to find something, but what do you want? Do you want to read some poetry? Do you want to study an ancient text? Do you want to share what's, burdening you with other people who can carry the burden with you like create it yeah. make the thing that you're mm. looking for it takes no money um what is the thing and here's the question what's his name uh chad chad i'd say here's chad what's the thing that if somebody invited you to it you'd be like oh my god i've been looking for this i didn't know i needed this yeah. and then make that yes a good meal each person shares a quote that has helped them through some suffering. You, someone does a song. I don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody pitches in a little to pay so and so's rent. Like, mm. um, by the way, that is how the early church started. It was way more like a ramshackle community of people who were rediscovering human dignity. Body broken, blood poured out. They for them always the Jesus story was always about people binding together mm. to walk through life together. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. So that's what I'd say to him. I'd say, create it. And that's what he's missing out on, on right now is that, that binding, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, a thousand percent normal human impulse Yeah. Mm -hmm. to walk with some people and wrestle with the big mysteries. Pick a book, pick a teacher, pick a film, pick a thing that, you can all experience together and yeah yeah this can be done 
Mm-hmm. This can be done. And I actually have noticed spiritual communities, like the unbelievably fresh things that are sprouting up all over the place. Oh, it's just amazing. What are you saying? Oh, like, what was this just recently? A woman in Texas who in her backyard started bringing in all these supplies and invited people to come package up supplies for homeless and it turned into this like movement of people who were like we have more than we need and other people don't have enough so let's organize it and distribute it and then make sure it's getting distributed well and then other people came to her and said that thing that you're doing in your neighborhood in your backyard could we do it in ours and so i talked to her about you know you're like a priest here like what you're doing is like a holy thing you're making sure that the earth can provide for everybody and you're making sure that it's distributed properly Mm. So all these people are bonding together over a shared mission to take their bounty and share it with those who need it. Mm. Uh, oh, and pubs, um, people gathering in pubs, and they, they pick a, like a great sacred text, and they all, okay, what did this tradition say about death after life, poverty, the soul, whatever? Oh, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. It's huge right now, the rethink. Because we, mm. we, all of the people, I'm not into that. Yeah, you are. You love human community. Right. Even you if you're, desperately you know, want to walk home with some people. <laughs> Everybody does. Even as like a, a, a aggressive introvert, um, <laughs> I <laughs> life would be miserable on a deserted island, right? Yeah. And, and, and so, yeah, my, my pattern is different from Ryan, who is an aggressive extrovert. I haven't seen him by himself ever, which would be <laughs> impossible. Um, uh but the observing of the particle affects what the particle <laughs> even does <laughs> for the record. Uh, that would be a great place to end up. I want to end with Julia's question here, right? Uh, why pray? Is prayer actually helpful? You know, I've, I, I'm going to be honest here. I have only 30 pages left in your book. I haven't got through the whole thing, but you don't talk about prayer up and at least until this last 30 pages the that I haven't read. Prayer. Ah. I love it, man. But you never say the word prayer. I can't think of one time you said the word prayer in your book. Sometimes words get loaded. <clears throat> so her, uh, Julia, Julia's question brings with it, you can feel it in the contours of the word, a world of why pray mm-hmm. is rooted in understanding of prayer, that there's some being somewhere like a cosmic vending machine, and then you ask for things, and then they may or may not come, at which point you're either grateful or you're wondering what you did wrong, so you either have to pray more or give up on the whole thing entirely. But if you move it from that to prayer is naming that which is most important to you, you're giving it expression, because you got this world, Julia, deep down in there, right? Angst, joy, Mm. celebration, gratitude, doubt, stress. And if you keep it bottled up in there, it'll just express itself in all sorts of other ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So prayer is giving expression to all this. You're like handing it over because if you carry it alone, it gets heavy. Mm. So the great prayers are always the prayers that gave expression to some dimension of the human experience. And it like unweights you. You're like lighter. Yeah, so you're you're absolutely enraged about a particular person in your life man drag that up say it speak it i hate them i never want to see them yeah get it all the ugly stuff so prayer is ugly it's beautiful it's poetic it's confessional it's honest you want something well then yeah say it ask for it of course 
Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, you're, it's how you name your interiors. Otherwise, they remain a mystery. There's a whole world churning in there. You give it expression and it's cathartic, it's healing. Things happen. So people talk about, does prayer change things? It changes me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, what I wanted in the book is the whole book to feel like a prayer. I get that. Naming things. There you go. That's interesting. You know, it makes me think about how in the Bible Jesus talks about praying, but he also talks about meditation. And I've just like, at this point, it's kind of yes. the same thing for me. Yes. And, yes. Yes. Um, it's a release in a lot of ways. Uh, and you can use prayer for more than just asking for things. I mean, it's, yeah. I do, I, I think at this point, um, I have so much to ask for anything. It feels like almost like too selfish. So what I do is like, I will, uh, do like thank you prayers and yeah, thank you is a good one. And it's a great release and it's, um, it's a great way to meditate. Hey, Julia, here's one. When you encounter somebody and in the interaction, you're moved by something they're going through or something they want or something they need. Uh, what helps me is to tell the person I will be carrying them around in my heart. Mm. To me, that's a, a way to think about prayer that I will be carrying you around in my heart. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah, I am sending my best intentions I am opening myself to up to divine healing, love, and energy, asking all of it to be sent your way. Of course, this brings us together. That's so yeah. much more powerful than my thoughts and prayers are with you. Yeah. That oh my goodness. Condescending to me. It's yeah. not anymore I, because I've 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 let go of that because I had a a preconceived notion of what that meant. It, it was someone else asking for something on my behalf. Yeah. Whereas no, it's not that. It is effectively. I'll carry you around yeah. in my heart. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and you you tell somebody you're praying for them because you wish the best for them and if you live that way, inevitably if there's something you can do, you'll probably end up doing it. Because you're for them. So in some ways prayer sometimes is the first step. I'm carrying you around in my heart and I keep thinking of you and realizing I actually I, I can I help? Mm. Yeah, it leads, it leads, it's like your heart leads to your feet, to your hands. Yeah. yeah. Rob Bell. I want to thank Gentlemen. you. Gentlemen. Awesome, man. Acknowledge you for what the you're doing. minimalists. <laughs> sure you can't stay for another it's two hours? to be with you <laughs> in this hot box. I know. <laughs> in the studio. But it, oh, it's, it's like, the weekend. That's why. Like six it's, sweaty dudes in here. They, yeah. they, they turn the, uh, I think like around noon on Did Friday. They, they ever, just turn. Or maybe last week they turned it off and we're just in here cooking. <laughs> yeah, there's no one else it, here anyway. Um, yeah. It's very, very meaningful and moving to me that you read the book and uh, your questions are... Uh, part of the whole process of making it and giving it to the world and to have you all interact with it mm. really means more than I could explain. So thank you. Thank We're you. Thanks for writing you it. Well, um, with this. My pleasure. Go see him on tour coming to a computer screen near you. <laughs> RobBell.com. Also check out an introduction to joy on YouTube links to all of that as well as his, his new book. Uh, Everything is spiritual are in the show notes. Rob, thank you so much. I loved it. Trace, thank you. Thank you, guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right, y'all. Love people. Use things. We'll see you next time. See ya.
are minimalists. <laughs>